0: Kat, human rights attorney, author, and associate professor at Rutgers University, speaking at the Palestine Festival of Literature, held on November first, two 2023, at the Union Theological Seminary in New York, titled, But We Must Speak, on Palestine and the Mandates of Conscience. You've been listening to Arab Voices, originating on KPFT Houston and syndicated on other radio stations in different cities in the U.S. and Europe. Our shows are archived online, and you can listen to them by visiting arabvoices.net. And that does it for the show today. Thanks for listening. This is Saeed, executive producer and host of Arab Voices. Until we meet next week, peace on earth. This is Bill McKibben coming at you on KBOO Portland, Oregon. KBOO Community Radio is listener-sponsored. That's right. 80% of our funding comes from donations from listeners just like you. You can always make a donation to help keep KBOO colorful, independent, and non-commercial at kboo.fm/give. But right now, during our end-of-the-year campaign, is the perfect time to contribute. Give now and help us to reach our goal of $75,000 by December 31st. Be a ray of light in your community by making your tax-deductible donation at kboo.fm slash give today. Sound was used for centuries as a method of torture. Place someone's head inside of a bell and ring it.
1: Tune in to Kabu every
0: other Tuesday at 3 a.m. for the Vinyl Pajama Party with your erstwhile host Brian. And eventually,
1: they go insane.
0: You never know what you will find on your radio slash interwebs during the show, but it will be something they go insane. Eventually, that's the Vinyl Pajama Party, alternating Tuesdays at 3 a.m. only on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. This is Medea Benjamin. I hope you listen to community radio, KBOO, ninety point seven. welcome to this month's episode of Voices for the Animals. I'm your host, Michelle
1: Coppola. In 2021, for the first time in five years, the number of dogs and cats euthanized in the U.S. actually increased, and that trend continued last year. I have been in rescue for maybe about 15 years, and I've never seen it this crowded.
0: Nationwide, shelters are dealing with a tsunami of pets that have been given up for adoption.
1: It's heartbreaking to walk through the kennels and see how many great pets we have. They're not scary. They're not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. They just lost their homes.
0: Too many potential pets, not enough people adopting them.
1: Dogs and cats are coming into shelters at uh, at levels we haven't seen in about 10 years. We have about 120 kennels in the, in the Kern County Animal Shelter. We have about 325 dogs. We take in 25 dogs on average per day.
0: And I gotta tell you, I'm sorry, but by 30 odd years of covering the story of overcrowding in the shelters, I have never seen anything like this. Now, I know that sometimes the media deals in so much hyperbole that we tend to tune it out. But those news headlines and stories you just heard are not at all exaggerated when it comes to the current crisis at animal shelters and rescues all over our country. So why is this happening? Are more pets being surrendered? Is it a lack of adoptions, too much breeding? Well, all those things play a role, and here to discuss the problem and some of the possible solutions is Stephanie Filer, Executive Director of the organization Shelter Animals Count. Thanks for being with us, Stephanie. Now, I want to start by having you tell us exactly what your organization, Shelter Animals Count, is, what it does, and why it is so vitally important to the companion animal welfare community.
1: Sure. So, Shelter Animals Count was founded in 2012, so we're just a little over 10 years old now, by all of the national animal welfare stakeholders who essentially banded together and determined We have been an industry that has been behind the times as far as data collection and using data to make decisions in in, in order to save more animal lives. Um, So they created Shelter Animals Count as an independent nonprofit, and we are um, charged with maintaining, collecting, and analyzing the data of animals coming in and out of animal shelters, foster-based rescues, and municipal animal um, control services throughout the country, Puerto Rico, and we'll be expanding into Canada um, next year. Wow,
0: so it's really important that we make the distinction, not only are you counting the animals in uh, municipal and county and city shelters, but you're also taking into account the animals that are going through non organizations here locally in the Portland area. That would be someone like uh, the Oregon Humane Society, Family Dogs New Life Shelter, Humane Society of Southwest Washington.
1: Yes, correct. And also um, foster-based rescues that do not have a brick-and-mortar facility but um, operate to help the animals through their foster networks.
0: Well, like I mentioned, I'm personally involved in dog rescue here in the Portland-Vancouver area. And for somebody like me, it seems like there has always been an animal shelter crisis because it always seems like there yeah. are too few good homes for adoptable animals. But what we're experiencing now is really different. So what I want to do is sort of set the stage and let people know what things were happening prior to the pandemic, because actually, we were really making some gains uh, prior to three years ago.
1: Yeah, we really were, especially with dogs. Um, About a decade ago, we saw as our industry, us realizing that we would not be able to adopt our way out of the Um, shelter over population crisis and needed to really look at not only the flow outside of shelters, but the flow into shelters. And so organizations across the country really started focusing their efforts on community outreach and um, intake prevention services and programs so that we could ultimately get animals that were entering shelters down to really just the ones that had nowhere else to turn. Um, And that included really robust spay neuter programs that were low or no fee, trap neuter return programs for community cats that would not be suitable for an in-home adoption, um, and a whole host of other things, including pet food pantries and other just really pet family support services that would prevent animals from entering the shelter for simple things like their owner not being able to purchase pet food between their next paycheck, between now and their next paycheck. Right. And so we saw those programs really having a huge impact on intake reduction. And at the same time, we were doing a pretty good job maintaining our outcome programs which would be things like adoption and return to owner and then also transferring animals around the country to other organizations we were doing probably our best in a lot of years in 2019
0: right because in back in the 80s and 90s and so forth I mean we are talking multiple millions of animals were being put to sleep simply for lack of a good home and that really decreased uh, you know up until we hit the pandemic
1: right yeah that was that's what the the best guesses and estimates are that I mean euthanasia was a common um, practice to maintain population, um, both of the animals inside and outside of the, of the shelter. And... Um And we really, our our industry really worked on reducing that through some of these creative, innovative programs. And and really the early 2000s or late 2000s, early 2010s were really a time of innovation and us thinking outside of the box and trying new things to really challenge that status quo. And we were seeing a lot of those benefits start to happen in 2019.
0: But as you have said uh, in the past few years, and as we have all noticed, if we're involved in this, things have really, really changed. And there is a true crisis in our nation's animal shelters and rescues. Tell us a little bit about how and why that developed.
1: So in 2019, before the pandemic, we basically we look at this thing called population balance calculation, which essentially looks at the the number of animals coming into shelters and leaving shelters. And if they if it balances, then there's no change in population. So basically the same the same number of animals that were in a shelter at the beginning of the year equal the same number of animals that were in the shelter at the end of the year. Not the same animals, but just the same number. And so when you have obviously more animals coming in than are going out, your population goes up, and when you have the reverse, your population goes down. And so in 2019, for the first year in a, in a lot of years, we had seen that population finally hit equilibrium, which was, I mean, there's still, the goal is no animals in shelters, but sure. to at least have equilibrium is the next best thing. And so that was after, you know, years and years of hard work. And so we were finally seeing that pay off. And it was that combination of fewer animals coming in and more animals leaving. In 2020, we all celebrated because we had a a lot fewer animals coming in and a lot more animals going out.
0: Pandemic pets.
1: (laughs) Exactly. What really happened when we looked at the numbers is it wasn't so great. We did see that experience happen with brick and mortar shelters where they were either forced to or chose to reduce or close services to the public, meaning they either had to stop accepting strays and owner surrenders or reduce that. And at the same time, wanted to have, you know, skeleton staff crews in the shelter itself, and so we worked to get animals out through big adoptions and foster programs, et cetera, and there were just not a lot of animals in the shelters, but what happened that we didn't realize until after the fact, um, as we started looking at the data, is a lot of these foster-based rescues really came in and filled the gap. Mm. and the talent. So as brick and mortar shelters were seeing their intakes go down and celebrating because they hadn't had this much room to breathe and in, in ever. Right. Um, we were seeing rescues fill that gap and the, the problem with that is Typically, brick and mortar shelters are very high volume with both the number of animals coming in and their animals coming out, and that's by design. Whereas typically, foster-based rescues are a lot slower with that process, and right. often by design as well. There, you know, a lot of foster-based rescues focus on behavior modification or um, extreme medical rehabilitation, et cetera. And then some of them, frankly, just have slower processes. They're volunteer run. Right. You know, people, they're doing the best they can, but it's just a different model. And so what happened was that that worked OK in 2020, but we were hearing them scream from the rooftops like we're, our intakes are not down. And so that really caused an alarm in 2021 when we're looking at the data and seeing that as a sheltering system, intakes were Down, but we've now shifted a high volume need onto a low volume solution and we started to feel that in 2021 so what
0: you're really saying is the problem actually didn't go away uh, the problem of not having enough good homes for the amount of pets coming in what actually happened during the pandemic is
1: that the where the pets went shifted exactly and it's not to minimize the the gains that were made in 2020 it was amazing that people were opening their homes to foster and adopt and in the pandemic pets and all of those things i mean It really, pets were having, shelter pets in particular, were having a moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At the same time, um, it, It gave us a breath that I think we weren't expecting what was going to happen next. We weren't prepared for it, frankly. Mm. And so in 2021, our intake started going up again. Just, I mean, ticking up. Not anything of concern. We started filling up shelters again, but it was still manageable. However, we started seeing outcomes not keep up. And Mm. so we had a little more animals coming in, but fewer animals going out. And then 2022, now we have full shelters and we have even more animals coming in and still not as many going out. And then 2023, we're now in, or almost ending, the third year of sustained stair-stepping increase. So now we are at the same number of animals, if not more by the end of the year, same number of animals coming into shelters as we were in 2019, but not the same outcomes. And so what we look at um, projecting by the end of the year is is probably gonna be about a 5% gap. And when you take that to, you know, millions of animals, it's significant. And when you add that, as this is a third year thing, it's not like we started January with no animals in shelters and have a 5% gap. We started with full shelters and now continue to add to it.
0: Let me break in here. You know, initially, when we started to see more animals in shelters and fewer adoptions, people were saying, oh, well, the intake rates are increasing because people are returning their pandemic pets because they've now gone back to work, don't have time for them or mm-hmm. have buyer's regret or so forth. But actually, that was kind of a myth. That's really not what has happened. What did change? Mm-hmm. What are the factors that are playing into the current crisis that we're seeing?
1: That's like my my favorite topic, because it's ironically what led me to um, this organization. I was in an animal shelter for 12 years and during the pandemic, and I joined Shelter Animals Count in 2021 because I was hearing these headlines about pandemic pets being surrendered in record numbers. And when I was looking at the data at our shelter, I'm like, we're just not seeing that, and and I thought you know maybe we're the anomaly. And so as I started to look at shelter in County, County I'm like nobody's seeing that. How is this? How do we convince ourselves that this is the problem? So it is true that that you know those things did happen. There were animals that were surrendered because they their um, people returned to normal and different routine, but it wasn't nearly. I mean, it was minimal. It was, you know, it's one of those like one story and so we think it's a trend. And what really what we saw was happening in 2021 and persists today is housing and other economic-based reasons continue to be the predominant reason why animals are entering shelters through owner surrender. But the interesting thing is we actually have seen a decrease over the past three years, year over year of animals being surrendered by their owners. And so the number of animals being surrendered has gone down, but the reasons in which they're being surrendered, being housing and and economy have gone up within that category. However, that's not necessarily, it seems like it could be good news on face value about owner surrenders going down, but we're seeing, especially for dogs, the rate of stray dogs entering shelters has significantly gone up.
0: Yeah, so what I think you're leading to here is something that I've been reading about, especially in places like Texas where people cannot get their dog into a shelter because there's a wait list or uh, Mm -hmm. the shelters are full, you know, that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. so they're just dumping their pets or they're calling them a stray when they're really not so they can get them in. Yes,
1: that's what we're hearing anecdotally. We can't prove it yet. We will be able to look at it. well, We can't necessarily prove people's Intentions right. and without knowing. However, the the data would indicate that that's likely happening because the rate of animals being reclaimed has gone down significantly. And generally, regardless of how many animals are coming in astray, your your rate of return would maintain. But because they're going down, it does indicate that animals are either being abandoned, they're being turned in falsely as raised because they are not able to surrender them. Or a lot of cases when animals are truly lost, their owner may either think they can't afford the fees or truly can't afford the fees to reclaim and then just don't. So we're hearing from our shelter partners a lot about animals being microchipped and it going to the right phone number and right address and those owners not reclaiming, which is back to a lot of cases, the economy. So that's happening. And at the same time, the past several years, we've had a a national veterinary shortage, which has reduced some of these community services that helped us keep animals out of shelters prior to 2020. It's also made a, a cost prohibitive in a lot of cases for pet owners to get veterinary services that they need, which ultimately result in surrenders. And then within the shelters themselves, there are constant veterinary job postings within animal shelters and even just within um, private practice clinics that rescues and shelters partner with, they're full with their for-profit clients and aren't able to dedicate their time and resources to shelter animals too. And so you have animals that would otherwise be very adaptable that are awaiting sometimes minor, sometimes major medical procedures, spay-neuter, dental cleanings, etc. Right.
0: Well, um, for people who may not realize, I do want to interject here. This is something I'm really familiar with. We are in this country in a real veterinary shortage. We are facing a time when there is going to be 15,000 fewer veterinarians than we actually need to service the pets
1: in this country. Yes, the the veterinary shortage is a real concern. And at the same time, we still have staffing shortages and volunteer programs have not returned to their pre-pandemic rates. And so you really just have not enough people. And what the challenge with that is even when there are enough kennels sometimes there's not enough people and those kennels have to to be empty because there's still not a capacity to care for those animals and so it's not always space sometimes it is just that full complete resource package and it's really where we're at right now is really the perfect storm of everything going wrong at once
0: you're listening to voices for the animals on 90.7 fm kboo portland you know, after many years of real progress, it's sad to say that there is now a companion animal shelter crisis in this country, with shelters and rescues all over the nation overwhelmed with unwanted pets, especially dogs. Today, we're talking to Stephanie Filer of Shelter Animals Count. They're a nonprofit organization dedicated to collecting and analyzing data from our nation's shelters and rescues. So hopefully we can do a better job of using that information to help pets in this country. Stephanie, you touched on this a little bit ago, and I wanted to circle back to it. The economy, and specifically a lack of affordable housing, is really one of the primary drivers of this animal shelter crisis and while yes many economic indicators are really good right now, our inflation rate is down unemployment is at the lowest levels in a long time, the fact is that housing really impacts people's ability to own and care for pets. It can be impossible for the average person to afford to buy a house which then forces people to rent and renting means lack of a yard for big dogs and as we know many rentals have pet bans or restrictions on dogs especially due to size or breed can you speak to that a little bit more in the impact that it's having
1: yes so that is absolutely the case Um, housing tends to be the number one or number two reason why animals are dogs in particular are surrendered to animal shelters or rescues and these are all really great um, well-loved family pets that um like you mentioned their their housing their family's housing situation changed um and either became unaffordable and they had to relocate or what we were really hearing a lot last year is that or is landlords out of nowhere decided to add exorbitant pet deposits and pet rent because the rental market was going up so high and they in some cases were restricted on how much they could increase the rent but they had this kind of gray area on you know penalizing based on pets And then we had the housing moratorium that started um, during COVID was lifted. And so a lot of people found themselves scrambling for housing. You're exactly right, too, that across this country, we have major pet discriminatory rental practices. And that generally targets large breed dogs or, or not even large anymore. Sometimes nice. it's just dogs over 25 pounds. And it generally targets dogs um, up to a 30 or 40 different breeds I've seen on lists that landlords or insurance companies are just kind of pulling up because of what they think. And it really doesn't look at behaviors and destruction and pet safety and human safety and all of these other things that we know are actually best, best practice. It's really, really antiquated. And it's the norm right now. And so that is definitely forcing families to come to shelters and looking for a new place so that that's a huge challenge in our country and one that is going to have a huge impact if we can get that to change on keeping pets in homes and then also allow people to actually adopt the pets they want from their shelter.
0: Right? The thing I want to touch on also is the role that maybe changing demographics is playing in this crisis. One of the things that I hear from the shelters and rescues that I work with is that as our population ages, because we have a large pig in the python of baby boomers that are getting older, 10,000 people turn 65 every single day in this country, um, a lot of people are ending up in nursing homes and assisted living facilities where they can't have pets or they pass away. And their pets are not don't have a plan for their pets and there's nowhere for their pets to go because the family can't or or won't take them. Is that playing a role in this crisis also?
1: Statistics of that would make sense. And the other thing that's interesting too about the aging population as it relates to pet owners is because... 80s and 90s and even early 2000s were such difficult decades for animal sheltering. Adopting a pet was really chic in those decades and there was a lot of pride that people had about adopting pets. We're not seeing that happen as much in this younger generation. It's kind of more chic right now to pay eight to ten thousand dollars online for a dog. Yes, don't Um, we love those little Frenchies (laughs) and golden doodles
0: and designer dogs? And, you know, what's interesting is as much as we love shelter dogs, you know, nationwide, and I imagine in this state as well, only about 30 or 40 percent of dog adoptions are through rescue groups and shelters. Most people are still getting a new dog from a breeder of some kind, pet store, something like that. I know that the people that I talk to in shelters say they see a lot more golden doodles and Frenchies and purebred dogs. And people usually don't think of purebred dogs as ever ending up in a shelter.
1: Yes, that is so fascinating, too, because we actually did a poll recently of some of our supporters and we had responses from 45 states, 500 organizations and asking them like what kind of either intentional designer breeds or purebreds have you been getting in your shelter and are you seeing an increase? And predominantly, 60% of them said they are seeing an increase. Um, The interesting thing is though like, you know, five years ago we would have lines for people waiting to adopt some oodle doodle poo mix (laughs) of some sort. Yorkie poo! And now (laughs) the shelters are full of them.
0: Right. Especially golden doodles around here. Labradoodles are in every shelter.
1: Yes, 100%. And yet people continue to buy them online from puppy mills. And I think we're kind of back in a place where we need to make that chic again. Um, And we need to talk about the importance because our rate of dog adoptions continues to to decrease. And when it doesn't decrease, it, it just flatlines.
0: I want to put some numbers to this crisis that we're talking about because it's really easy to say, yeah, the shelters are packed and so forth. But I want to bring home the idea that this is really causing many more pets to lose their lives. Can you give us some statistics that really show what we're up against in shelters right now?
1: So what we're seeing with dogs compared to two years ago is actually an 85% increase in non-live outcomes. So that includes euthanasia or shelter euthanasia or animals dying in care. And that's that's almost double. And then compared to last year, we're seeing a 30% increase when it comes to dog non-life outcomes. And in contrast, when you look at that compared to cats, it's only 7% increase compared to two years ago and 8% increase compared to last year. So it is going up um, across species, but way more significantly for dogs. And what we're hearing from our shelter partners right now is organizations that either have never or haven't for a really long time had to euthanize animals for space. In order to maintain humane humane living conditions for all of the animals in their care and safety for their staff, um, they're having to do it now, and it's excruciating. There's, you know, some of our partners are talking about having to walk through and picking out dozens of dogs for no, for you know, arbitrary reasons that they never would have had chosen before. And it started about last year when organizations started picking out dogs that you know if they had a little more time maybe they could have changed this you know behavioral medical challenge but Mm -hmm. they don't have that time and now they're flat out just walking through and they're like we either have too many that look like this or first in first out or age or you know a whole host of other things
0: too many huskies Um, too many pit bulls too many black dogs and so somebody has to go whoever's been here the longest or whoever uh, is a little too excitable
1: right Yeah, hundred percent and and you know We know that shelters are not a great place for dogs and cats to spend a long amount of time and they don't generally present um, in a shelter how they would in a home, uh, especially the excitable ones in a shelter. They're usually way more calm at home. Sure. So it's a stressful situation. And so the goal is still to try to get these pets out of shelters into homes to make room for more coming in, both from an adoption and a foster standpoint, but also so we can see what their their true behaviors are and then hopefully can find an adapter without them ever returning back to the shelter. But, you know, in, in, in situations where shelters aren't making these decisions, we're hearing about dogs you know six to nine dogs per kennel right designed for one dog
0: i know that uh in texas and in california it is not uncommon nowadays to put to sleep whole litters of puppies healthy puppies uh, because they just have no space and they're more likely to get sick in the kennel environment
1: yeah and where i am right now i'm in atlanta georgia and one of our local shelters reported that they're at 400 percent capacity and wow um, you know that's not sustainable and that's the message that they were sharing is like we tried for as long as we can to, to hold on and we can't hold on so yeah it, it's a really challenging time for shelters and you hit the nail on the head earlier by saying you know these organizations often i think in these situations people like to point fingers are surrendering their pets after the pandemic and you know not, that's only not true but it's also you know we, we want a villain in this situation and we want to point fingers at shelters because they're not doing enough or they're euthanizing or whatever. And really what we're seeing across the board is shelters, are doing the best they can with what they have. And this is really not a shelter problem. It, it really, truly is a community problem.
0: That is something I'm so glad you touched on because I was about to do the same thing. Is so many times people want to point fingers and say, well, why do they have to kill them? That's terrible. Those terrible people at the shelter, you know, putting to sleep all those dogs. That's not their fault. And the thing about it is, is that it takes a terrible toll on those shelter workers to have to make those decisions and actually perform the act of putting a healthy animal to sleep. That is something that not every human can do and that you can't do without it having taken a huge toll on you. And it also probably leads to the fact that you have a lot of attrition and people leaving the field because it's just too hard.
1: Absolutely. And that's what we really saw since COVID. It's, it's really interesting. You have kind of your, your pre-COVID animal shelter staff that really saw some really dark times in animal welfare. Mm-hmm. And then you have these ones, these newer post-COVID staff that they're now entering in some dark times, but they also they kind of had this break where it was kind of this like unicorn where nobody was having to make these tough euthanasia decisions. And so now having to make it after entering in a space where they were not is even more difficult for them. But then it's also difficult for the ones who had been through that. And then finally saw this light at the end of the tunnel and they're like, now we're back. And so, you know, people are in this work because they love animals. So you have these like this huge compassion fatigue that's occurring. We're losing great people. And then you add to it people from the community or outside of the community pointing fingers and making death threats. and saying these awful things, it's more than most people can handle. And even veterinarians have a really high risk of suicide. Right. And these are all just really complex societal issues that are happening within these shelter walls that is really of no fault of anyone who's in these buildings.
0: Right. What can we do to uh, help animals in this crisis and help the people who work with them?
1: So the tried and true top four things that have always helped continue to help, and that is adopt foster, volunteer, and donate. And ideally, you can do all four, but if you can't do all four, um, one or more is, it's really transformational, and it literally is saving lives. We're seeing budget cuts, we're seeing, because of the economy, a decrease in donations, we're seeing, you know, the the staffing shortages, like we talked about, um, that can be remedied with an increase in volunteers, we're seeing the space crisis that can be remedied with an increase in fosters and adopters that's really the first thing on being able to rally around and support your shelters. Then there's the other side of people who are struggling and there's a lot of people in this country struggling particularly to care for their pets. As soon as they can to reach out to their local shelter to see what services and resources might be available. There's a lot more that shelters can do with more notice. It's a lot harder for them to try to help with a housing issue when somebody's moving that day versus, no, they have 30 days and they either need help finding a a pet-friendly place or, in a lot of cases, even if an owner surrender, you know, is still the only option for them, a lot of shelters can help partner them with these peer-to-peer rehoming services. So, the person who's having to surrender their pet now doesn't have to take it to this overcrowded shelter, the shelter can help refer them to these groups that help them pick the new home for their pet. Exactly.
0: I mean, I see so often people posting on social media that they have to get rid of the pet by the end of the week or they have to get rid of the pet in 24 hours when, in fact, they've known for a long time that they were moving or that their housing situation.